Thank you, guys. Becky, thank you. I don't know if you know, but Becky just kind of got a call on the way in this morning. It was like, can you sing? And she was like, well, of course I can sing. But they were like, can you sing this morning? So, <clears throat> yeah, this is just a Tuesday for Becky, just in her car. That's what I told her beforehand. This is just on her way to work and on her way home. This is what she does. So thank you. And Governor School guys, man, thank you all so much for bringing strings today. That's awesome. That's a, there's, there's like two firsts that we get to have this month in the history of origins, like Christmas Day, like worship gathering, that's one. But strings, that's number two. So uh, thank you guys so much. Um, man, I'm out of breath. I don't know what's going on. Um, I don't think I have RSV, even though everybody else's kids have. Um, but it's just been, man, it's been one of those mornings. And so before we, we prayed, before everything got started late, and uh, I think Rob summed it up best. He's like, let's just pray for peace. So yeah. Even though that's not the Advent candle that we lit today, we can still pray for it, and we're good with it. So, uh, man, we're glad to be here. Let me pray, and, uh, and then we're going to jump in. God, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Jesus. Mm. Thank you for the peace, the joy, the hope, the love that is afforded to us because of him, that we couldn't create, that we couldn't that we couldn't imagine. We couldn't make plans big enough uh, to house your glory, your goodness, your story. Thank you that we get to share it. Thank you that we get to live in it. Thank you that we get to just be partakers of the goodness of God. Um, I pray for your word today as we speak it. I pray that it would be more than inspiring, more than self-helping, but God, it would be life-giving. And th thank you for allowing us to read it. We love you. All right, here we go. This is what we're going to do. Uh, we're taking a little break from Mark, and so we're going to be in his brother, Luke. Not exactly, but really at the same time. And, man, for the next three weeks, we, this is the easy one of the, like, I talk about this a lot. Like, at Easter and at Christmas, it's probably the easiest times of the year for me as a pastor. Like, to be honest, I, I love to teach, and this is probably where I'm most comfortable in life, which is crazy because I'm an introvert, and I don't like being around a bunch of people. But for some reason, being in front of people is, is okay with me. Um, you know, it puts me into a holy coma around 3 o'clock every Sunday, but that's okay, and, and I'm just kind of prepared for that. Uh, but Christmas and Easter are, are two of those times in which we don't, I don't have to think about what we're going to talk about. Like, it's a story that bears repeating. It's a story that needs to be told. It's a story that needs to be heard, remembered. And uh, today, next week, and on Christmas Day, we just get to tell that story. And so super excited to do that. Um, today, uh, in the particular passage we're going to look at, there's, there's two particular lines, and I'll talk about the, the second line uh, in a couple Sundays, but there's two lines that pop up in the Christmas story that I just I love like so much because I think they have such deep implications for me as, as someone who's trying to know Jesus better daily and trying to follow him more fully and just to know God and to make him known. It just, there's just some simplicity that rests here, um, and it comes in the form of a statement from Mary that we're going to read this morning, um, and I love that. So if you have your Bibles, open to Luke chapter 26. Um, no, pardon me, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Well, chapter 26, we're not going to find that one. But anyway... Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Man, it's been a ride this morning. It has. Um, yep. And there was even, like, I don't think it's been as bad for us as whoever had a party last night, uh, because at some point we heard a phone ringing, and it's in one of the gift bags with presents under the Christmas tree. So I'm guessing they had a harder night last night than we did a morning today. Um, and they're probably still like, where in the world is my phone? They're never going to find that um, unless we help them out. But either way, we're going to do our best to do that. But 
Anyway, so our, our morning's fine. Chapter 1, verse 26. Let's talk through several of these passages, read these, and then we'll, we'll get back together and talk through them. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. This should sound a bit familiar, hopefully. If it doesn't, I'm glad you're hearing it for the first time. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he'll be called the Son. Sorry, it's going to happen today. The Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And in his kingdom, or of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And here's, here's those one of two statements. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. So, like, let's, let's put this in a little bit of perspective. A lot of times we gloss this over. Like, if we've been hearing the Bible for a long time, we read stuff and we're like, yep, that's the way it happened. But here's the problem when we do that. If we do that, we miss the fact that this was crazy. That all of this that we just read, we read it off as words that are just on a page, just written one letter after another, make paragraphs, make verses, make chapters, and we're like, yep, that's fairly normal. Nope, not normal at all. Like, if we start with it before this passage, before this passage, an angel appeared to Elizabeth, who was an old woman. You know, we're not, you know, it, it, we're not being subjective, we're being objective. She, she was an old woman, and, and she had no babies, could not have babies. And an angel appeared to her and her husband and was basically like, hey, you guys you're going to have a son. You know, very much like Abraham and Sarah back in the Old Testament, this has happened before, but again, this is not normal. Like, even if we say three times, in the course of human history, that's not normal, okay? Three out of 50 million, trillion, quazillion, billion, still not very normal. So anyway, angel appeared to Elizabeth and Zechariah and said, you're going to have a son. You're old. It's okay. He's going to be awesome. You know, he's not going to be normal. He's not just going to be a kid that scrapes his knees. He's going to be a kid that's going to prepare the way for the one, the one we've been waiting for, the rescuer, the Messiah. Like, he's going to be that, um, and he's going to be special. And so, pretty crazy, even before we get to this text. And then we've got Mary, okay? Mary, probably a teenager. By those standards and cultural norms, it was okay for a teenager to be married, that kind of thing. Uh, teenager, and she has never known a man. The word we use here is virgin, and that's okay. I'm looking around. We're, we're safe. We can use that. It's not going to create a lot of difficult conversations after we leave today, but she was. And an angel appears to her and says, you've never known a man, but you're going to have a baby. It's not normal at all. And when we look at that and we're like, that's not normal, here's the other part that we just kind of skip over. An angel named Gabriel appears to her. Like, in her bedroom, she's just standing there, sitting there, knitting, or doing whatever she's doing, darning socks, I don't know. But either way, this bright, angelic being with a name, who Gabriel is most likely a warrior, appears in her bedroom, and is just like, how's it going? Not normal at all. Like, this is not mundane. This is not every day. This is not once a week, once a month, once a year. This is like once a lifetime kind of a thing. And so even if we take Abram and Sarah... Abraham and Sarah, even if we take them, even if we take uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, those were great, but this was completely different. 
prophesied 700 plus years ago in Isaiah, but still completely different. Angel says, you're, you're going to have a son. And so it's already crazy, crazy. We've got layers of crazy. Angel appearing, saying, you're going to have a son. You've never known a man. It's going to be God's son. Um, and oh, by the way, yeah, that last part, it's, it's going to be the son of God that you're going to carry. You're going to deliver. You're going to give birth to. Completely out of bounds. Not normal. Completely unusual. Um, and so when we read these stories, like it's important for us to stop and try to, try to divorce ourselves a little bit from the things that we know, to read it from fresh perspective, to just look at it and be like, this is, this is insane and amazing and unreal and not normal. And that's what makes it so great because it wasn't normal. It wasn't possible. It wasn't mundane. It was none of those things. This was God making a way to earth in a way that no one else, no other thing, no other power, no other being, no other thought in the mind, no other plan could, the one, only the way that he could. And so he appears. It says in the sixth month, they're talking about in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and it says that he just kind of says a couple things. And, and not only are we looking at what he said, but how he said it. Like he appears in dramatic fashion, and he says this to Mary in verse 28. He says, and he came to her and he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Like, I think we actually need to pay a bit of attention to that because we have to think about our best day. Like, my best day, your best day. I don't know that my best day, that God would look at me. Now, granted, I'm a dude. There's problems with this. But either way, let's just forget about that for a minute. I don't know if there's any day, like on my best, that God would bestow this on me based on my goodness. So Mary, not only was this whole situation unusual, but Mary, she wasn't normal either. Like she was incredible. To be the one that God looked at through all of history and all of his plans to say this one, this one right here, she's the one. At the perfect time, in the perfect place, with this perfect, not sinless, but just favored. I mean, completely unusual, completely amazing. He says, so greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 29 is a nice way of saying it. It says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and trying to discern the sort of greeting this might be. That's the nice way of saying she was scared out of her mind. She was like, am I about to die? What did I do? What did I break? Because mm, this isn't good. Because, like, again, not normal, sitting in your bedroom, doing whatever you're doing, and an angel warrior appears to you, you probably think you're about to die. Okay? Not normal. But he doesn't kill her. He says, no, 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 you're favored. God looks at you like, here's the, here's the idea. God looks at you and he smiles. Ah, it's crazy. God looks at you and he smiles. He's with you. And then he begins to go into all of those things that we said. And she's, she's scared. But in verse 30, he says, hey, don't, don't be afraid. I love it. Anytime angels appear, like we, we miss that very often too. We just kind of read that. But anytime angels appear to people, they have to say that. Why? Because they were scared out of their minds. Because again, not normal, not mundane, doesn't happen all the time, completely out of bounds. Like an angel warrior appears in front of you, you're going to flip out just a little bit. And to the point, they're going to have to say, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm not here to strike you down or smite you, whatever that word means, but I'm, I'm here because it's good. It says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, repeats it a second time. And he says, and behold, or look, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And then he begins to lay out who this Jesus is going to be. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. So not only was this not a normal day, but this would not be a normal child. This would not be just 
you know, just a son, just a daughter, but it would be the son to fix what was broken and his kingdom would know no end. And that house of Jacob kind of a thing, we read that and we, we, may, we might not understand, but the house of Jacob was just the idea of the people of God. He's like, he's going to rule over God's people forever, forever. Every king they had seen up until then, they may have had a lineage, they may have had an offspring, they may have had a throne, they may have had dominion, but it pretty much ended when they died or their sons went bad, one or the other. And this angel was telling Mary, not this one, totally different, totally other than, completely unique, completely singular is the idea. There's only one. He says he will reign over the house of Jacob, all of God's people, and his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary asks the elephant in the room question. Verse 34, she's like, "Mm, I'm not a physics professor, but I don't know how this is going to be possible. Because she said, "I'm, I'm a virgin. And then the angel says, well, no, this not like that. Again, singular, not normal. I mean, we've got a pediatrician sitting in here, and we can ask him if this happens, and I guarantee he's going to tell you it doesn't. There's always, there's always a patriarch, but in this case, he wants to say, like, understand, again, singular, unique, the father of this child will actually be God himself, and that's why I've called him son of God, son of the Most High, and it is, by all intents and purposes, impossible, which we're going to get to a statement to clarify that in just a minute. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, this child to be born will be called holy or separate, the Son of God. And then she tells him, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And in this, this is the sixth month with her uh, who was called barren. And here's the statement in verse 37. He says, for understand, for nothing, nothing will be impossible for God. Nothing. And it's, in, it's, in, it's beautiful and it's so timely that he says that right here because everything that he's just pronounced up until this point, they were all impossible. They were all impossible. Like to have a child as a virgin, impossible. To give birth to the Son of God, impossible. To be a woman who is ripe in her age and barren to have a son, impossible. But he clarifies and he's like, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing. And here's Mary's response. Like I said, Mary's unique. She's, she's not normal. She's, she's found favor with God. God smiles at her, and I believe he smiles at us too. But with Mary, I, I do believe it was different. I'm not trying to deify Mary, but I'm saying she was unique. And Mary's response, behold or look, I'm a servant, a bondservant, a slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it happen just as you say it. And I love, man, I just want to read it again. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And it says, and the angel departed from her. After this, she went and spent some time with Elizabeth, like the next six months of her, three months of, of her pregnancy. And then she went back home, um, and John the Baptist was born. And they were, they were just a few months apart. And there's even this place in here where just kind of some amazing confirmation in which Mary walks in to Elizabeth, and the baby's in her belly, and the baby's in Elizabeth's belly, and And John jumps, it says. The baby in Elizabeth's belly leaps. He's there to prepare the way for Jesus, and he just met him. Crazy. Like, none of this stuff makes sense. We should not read any of this and be like, "Eh, that's kind of neat. No, 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 it's not like nature. I mean, it's better. I don't know if y'all have seen that viral video, but nature's neat. But anyway, sorry. Not normal. Completely other than. And this is the reason it's a story 
that needs to be told over and over and over. Because I do believe the best stories that we can tell about God are the times that he takes things that are not possible and makes them entirely possible. And so in this, I think a a couple of things. I think the biggest question for me when I read this, because I love this statement so much and it draws me in, like I do often wonder, like if God pronounces impossibility to me that's about to happen, what's my response going to be? Because understand, like, what God's saying is about to happen to Mary uh, would not have been completely joyful. Like, yes, to give birth to the Son of God, but also at the same time in this culture, that meant that she was probably going to be dishonored in a huge way. Because, like, pregnancies out of wedlock, they were hidden. They were hidden. They were shameful. They did not happen. And Mary was about to give birth to the Son of God, but yet the rest of the world was going to look at her and know that she was not known by a man or she should not have been known by a man, and she would have been completely, like, more than discredited She could have been disowned. But yet her response was, I'm a servant, I'm a doulos, I am a slave to the Lord. Let it be just as you've said. And the question that I I think about at every point when I read this, I'm like, would I have responded the same way? Like if God comes to me and he says, I'm going to do something impossible in your life, and it's likely going to cost you something, Um, it's not going to be easy, uh, and it's crazy, and probably no one is going to believe you when you talk about it being good, would my response have been, I serve the Lord. He's my master. Let it be just as you've said. Is that, would that be my response? And then I'm going to put it on your plate. Would it be your response? How do we respond when God says, I'm going to do the impossible and it's likely going to cost you something? How do we respond? That's the reason I love Mary's response because I know I know mine would have probably been different. And we can chicken and egg it and say, well, if you would have found favor with God, if you were that good, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to worry about that. I know that as I am right now, as I've been my life, even though God has grown me, I don't know that my response would have been the same. It's crazy. And so I do, I ask the question, so what would I need? What do I need? What has God granted me? What has he given us? so that our response can be the same. Because what she literally said was like, I'm a slave to the Lord. We don't like that word because of the implications, and I understand it, but this is completely different. Because in this connotation, like the master is completely good, completely benevolent, completely loving, completely caring, all entirely holy, 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 separate and good. And so it's okay to be a slave to him. But like for us to say, I am your slave, it also means that you are my master. I submit to you. Like what you want, that's what I want. What you're going to do, that's what I'm going to do. Like for us to get there. I think the, the first thing for Mary, and, it, and it's kind of revealed in what she said, um, is it starts, with, it starts with our view of who God is. Like it has to start with, who, with our view of who God is. Because again, it, there's no way that Mary would have said, I serve you, if her view of God would have been distorted or incomplete and inaccurate. Because if she didn't see God as being completely good, completely worthy of her heart, her service, her life, and all those things, there's no way she could have made that statement. So it begins with how we view God. And so, and I get it, like for us to sit down and digest all of this is very difficult. Like that's just, that's just the reality of it. Uh, if we are going after this to learn everything we can about God in a week, there's no way that it's going to happen. 
uh, we talked about a few weeks ago, like what are some ways and practices that we can put into place to not be like the Sadducees, like because they were willfully ignorant to the, the work of God, the power of God, the words of God. Uh, they choose to ignore certain parts of what God has revealed. And so we talked about some tools to go through that. But I think for us, the beauty that we get to see that's represented even by Christmas is as we seek to know God and to understand him better, to figure out who he is so that that informs who we're serving. And if we can reveal and say something like Mary... Uh, the beauty of this is that we, as a result of history and as a result of the work of God, we actually get to start with Jesus. And that may be a dust statement, but understand, like, if, to be honest, like if we started in Genesis and went through Malachi and let just that inform what we knew about God, we would get a glimpse of God, but we wouldn't get a full picture. And it would be hard. Like, that's, that's the honest revelation. I'll, I'll be true with you. Like, if I did not know about the life, the work, the words, the resolution of Jesus, for me to know God just in the Old Testament, it would be hard. But we, as a result of grace and as a result of God sending his son, not to just be uh, the sacrifice that we needed, not to just be the example of how we then should live, but he also got to come and reveal to us who God is and what he looks like. There's an exchange that we have in John chapter 14 um, in which Philip he says to Jesus, he says, Lord, show us the Father, and, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father, and the Father is, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or else believe on the account of the works themselves. For us, grace extended to us by the work, the person, the words, the actions, the heart of Jesus is for us to know God. We get to start with Jesus. And that's something that people throughout history up until his coming and his resurrection, they didn't have. Now, they could still know God, and they could still be known by God. Their faith could be accounted to them as righteousness. Yes, they could do that. But for us, I promise, it's easier. It's easier because very often we do. We read the Old Testament and we're like, ah, I don't know what to think about that. But then we can look to Jesus. We can see how he loved. We can see how he served. We can see how he sacrificed. We can see how he spoke. We can see the authority in which he dwelled in because it was his. If we want to know God, we get to start with Jesus. If we want to know what the love of God looks like, we don't just have to, to think about words of the Old Testament conveyed from heavenly high down to people below. We actually get to look at the fact that God came, put on skin, dwelt among us, and lived out the very love of God as he related one person to another and then to a people. And then we get to see that love culminate and hang on the cross and die because we couldn't fix ourselves. If we want to know God, we get to start with Jesus there's no other way that we can pronounce or say that uh, I'm your slave. Because we're not going to serve someone that we don't know. We're not going to serve someone that's not trustworthy, that's not worthy of our servanthood, our serfdom. We're not, we're not going to do that. But we have the privilege, we have the opportunity to know God through the person, the works, the words, the rising of God himself in the form and person of Jesus. And then there's the way that we, we get to trust in what he does because we've seen it happen. Like he's even talking to Philip. He's like, look, you've got to understand, when you've seen me, you've, you've seen the Father. 
when you've heard my words, you have to understand that those were the Father's words. That's why I've spoken them. And the works that I've done, I've done that to reveal the Father. So if we want to know God, we get to start with Jesus. I think the, the second thing for us, too, if we want to be able to respond like Mary, and this is not a, a clear cut, you do this and this will happen, but I think it's a, a, good, a good practice It does start with our view of God, but the second thing is, like what she says at the end, after she says, I am your servant, or I'm a doulos of the Lord, she says, let it be as you've said. Right there is a submission saying, not what I want, but what you want. We see that modeled in Christ in the prayer of Gethsemane, but uh, we also get to see it in other places, but she just says, let it be according to your word. I think very often, I think when we hear God's, like, pronouncement of what's going to occur, even if it's impossible and it's not going to be fun for us, I don't know that those are our normal first words. Like, hey, just as you've said it, let it happen. But the way that Mary was able to do that was Mary was privy, Mary was partial, Mary was able to see somehow the bigger plan, the bigger picture. She knew God, but she was able to see the bigger plan, the big picture. I think for us, it's incredibly necessary. Because for me to actually relinquish my will, my desires, my hopes, my dreams, uh, in order to take on his hopes, his desires, his dreams, like I have to see that his hopes, his dreams, his desires are better than mine. And they have eternal ramifications, not just personal or circumstantial. So I have to know the big picture. And so we delve into that. And and again, Scripture is going to be our source for that, like knowing why Jesus came, why he lived, why he spoke, why he died, why he rose, and why he's invited us into that. Like to understand, it's not just about my day-to-day. To understand, it's not just about my joy and my peace and my hope, although it is. It's not just about my well-being, but it is. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger plan. And it's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than us. It's a God-sized plan. And for me to be able to faithfully say, whatever you want is what, you, was I, what I want, for me to say that, I have to know that there's a bigger plan in play, a bigger picture being drawn than the one that I'm making. And it's God's. And it starts with me viewing Him correctly, trusting Him entirely, and trusting that that plan, even though I don't understand it, is good. And it's right. And in the end, God's going to receive the most glory possible from his plan and not mine. And sometimes to accomplish that, God does the impossible. Ephesians 2.10 is another reminder later than this. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think if we're understanding God's big plan, his beautiful plan, that's bigger than mine, that's bigger than yours, on one hand, it's going to make us feel incredibly small. And that's not negative, necessarily. Like, in relation to God, we should feel small. But at the same time, we should not feel insignificant. The reason is this. Like, we're his masterpiece, his chief creation, set above all of his other creation, even the angels, according to Scripture, but we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Like, he's made us special, he's made us unique, but he's also made us with purpose to work in his plan, to work in his big picture. And so while looking at God and looking at his plan, yes, makes us feel small, should not make us feel insignificant. Because the truth is, in relation to God, I am. I am incredibly tiny, but I'm greatly loved, 
and simultaneously, God wants to use me. So small, but greatly loved, and God wants to use me. The same is true for you. Yeah, in relation to God, we are. We are tiny, but not insignificant. Because God desires that this story that we get to talk about so freely at Christmas, that we get to talk about throughout the year, but we also get to to hunker down on around Easter. Yes, while we're small, God desires for us to tell this story repeatedly, over and over, and the difference that it's made in my life, the difference that it's made in your life. Last week, we were uh, were reading our Advent stuff that we do in our house at night, and um, the kids used to fight over who reads, but now they don't. Like, Liza just jumps in. She's like, I'll read. And Caleb's like, okay because he's 11, and that's the, what 11-year-olds say. Um, and then they hang an ornament on the tree. And then afterwards, uh, I think it was on Monday or Tuesday, um, Liza started asking questions that she gets at school for talking to her friends about Jesus. And granted, that makes my heart just explode, that I know that my daughter is, is sharing the story of Jesus to her friends, but she gets some hard questions. She gets some super hard questions. And she says, well, this friend of mine who is, who's Indian, she was like, she says this, how do I respond? I'm like, you just tell her the truth of Jesus. Don't try to convince her. Don't try to change her mind. It's not your job. God does that. But even though you are just, man, a little fourth grader, with cute little red hair and awesome little freckles, insignificant in the view of the world, you're completely significant to God because you get to tell a story. You get to use words. It's all God asks of the small to speak of the big. That's all God asks of the small is to speak of the big. And he'll do the rest according to his plan, his will, his desires, and for the benefit of his glory. Mary, on any given day, walking around in the market, probably didn't stand out. She was just another teenage girl, just buying her fruits and veggies seeking to do Whole30 because she was about to get married. Um, She wasn't doing that. She was probably on the Mediterranean diet. Um, On any given day, just a normal girl. But to God, not normal at all. Not insignificant. No matter how the world viewed her, she was small, but she was special. And even though we might not be able to respond in the same way right now in this place, I do believe that God's plans for us can be almost as significant. You say, well, I'm not going to bear the Son of God. No, but we get to speak about Him. The small gets to talk about the big, and God can do amazing things with that. Amazing things. Whether you're a fourth grader, whether you're a pediatrician, whether you work in a gym, whether you hang glass, whether you provide uniforms for people in their jobs, whether you're a nurse, whether you work in a dental office, I'm just trying to think. These are just, you know, general ideas. I'm not speaking specifically about anybody that I just looked at. God can use the small to speak about the big. And all we have to do, all we have to do, almost, is just tell the story. And then let God inform us with what the rest is. I just want to reread it. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I think we pray, God, when you ask the impossible, even if it's costly, 
let me respond in similar fashion. Because we understand who you are, even if veiled a little bit by our limitations. And then we understand that his plan is bigger than mine, bigger than yours, bigger than ours. And it's worthy of us saying, whatever you want, that's what I want. And let the small talk about the big. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the amazing, miraculous, crazy, ridiculous story of your son coming and putting on flesh and dwelling among us. So yes, we could know you, but we could be known by you, but so that we could make you known to others. God, I thank you of the, just the ridiculous way in which you interact with your creation. I thank you that you take the impossible and make it possible. And God, I thank you for asking us to be a part. As small and seemingly insignificant as we are, you view us completely different. You place great value on us. You call us your, your craftsmanship, your masterpiece. And you've placed us in good works that you prepared beforehand so that Jesus could be revealed. God, I pray you give us great boldness, great courage, great simplicity in thought to speak well of you. Not just right now during this season, but for the the remainder of our earthly lives. Father, I pray that we can share the story of the good, good God that saved us and what it means. And Father, as a result of the words that you give us, the story that you supplant in us, Father, I pray that you would change lives. I pray you would change lives in this city. I pray you would change lives in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our homes. And God, not so that origins can grow as a kingdom, but so your kingdom can grow, even when we cease to exist. God, grow your fame, grow your glory. Thank you for allowing us to be part. And thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.